Good morning. Welcome home, family. So glad. Still so glad to see everyone here worshiping with us this morning. <clears throat> we are continuing our, uh, our series going through the book of Exodus. We are going to be finishing up Exodus chapter 12 and then moving on to Exodus chapter 13 this morning. So if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 12, verse 33, you can in your Bibles. But when we get there, do not worry since we will have it on the screen. But before we go and dive into the text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for you, how you've acted through history, how you have directed and guided, how you have saved your people, that we can draw lessons and facts and character qualities of you from the text and know it's still true today and how you relate to us. Lord, I'm amazed at your graciousness to your people. A people so easily prone to forget, but yet you endure for the sake of your love. Lord, we love you. We seek you and pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we remember kind of sets the tone for life. It's true. We know this is true. We know this is true for relationships, right? If you remember slights from someone, how they treated you wrongly, it sets a tone on how you interact with them for probably the remainder of your relationship with them. But if you choose to remember their kindness or their goodness or how they, how they were friendly towards you, it sets a different tone or how you react to them. If you're married, you know this is true. For what you remember about your spouse sets the tone for your relationship. Because you really have a choice, right? Because you can remember a negative tone for your relationship. But if you choose to, you could remember the good stuff, the, the caringness, the love, all those things. And hopefully those things are greater than the other. But you can choose to remember that, and it sets an entirely different tone for your life, for your relationship. And the same thing is true just in life in general. What we remember, what we go through, how we remember it, sets the tone for life in general. If we remember the good stuff, if we remember the blessings of God and how he's treated us well, if we choose to focus on those things and remember the, how he loves us in that way, it sets a good, gracious tone for the rest of life. We can set and remember those things. It actually makes us more prone to remember the good, the blessings. But if we choose not to, and only remember things that we don't get that we wanted or things that don't work out well, we can be grumpy and we can become sourpusses in this life, just looking around going, man, haven't we missed out? What we choose to remember, the power of remembering is so important because what we choose to remember sets the tone for so much of our life. Charles Spurgeon, who is uh, uh, an old preacher, said this, too many people write their blessings in the sand, but engrave their sorrows in marble. And he, that their blessings, the ways God has blessed them, the ways life has worked out for them, the ways in which it has been fortunate for them, they choose so easily to forget them when they just focus on those negative things. The power of remembering is that it focuses on the things we want to set the tone for our life. 
that we get to remember what we should remember. And I think that is what God is doing for the people of Israel when we come to Exodus 12, verses 33 onward. We see him giving them things to help them remember what they should remember and not remember what they shouldn't remember. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 12. And we'll start picking up in verse 33. So we've been walking through Exodus, so let's catch up to where we are now. We've been talking about how God's people, they were enslaved in, in Egypt, right? They were under Pharaoh, and he was laying harsh kind of punishments on them. And God raised up to deliver Moses, this child that was, uh, his parents kind of defied the, the, the Pharaoh's edict and saved this child that was supposed to be killed. And, and so Pharaoh's daughter raised him up as as he was saved from the river. You guys remember the story with the little basket and all that stuff? And then how Pharaoh was raised, uh, I mean, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household until the age of about 40, in which he saw an Egyptian killing or beating a... Uh, so he fled Pharaoh. He hid in the wilderness in Median for 40 more years, where he found his wife. It was a pretty good deal. He found a father-in-law, too. That comes with the wife. And so he was a shepherd out in Midian. And then he was called by God back to Egypt by the, by the burning bush, right? And so he received this call from God. I have a message for my people. You're going to tell Pharaoh. You're going to tell my people who I am. And so Moses went, and he was kind of scared because he didn't talk though so well. So God was gracious there and provided Aaron to kind of be his mouthpiece, to speak on his behalf. And so he went back into Egypt and declared to Pharaoh, let my people go. You probably have heard that before. Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And so now here come ten plagues on the people of Egypt, where you know, a range from blood in the, the Nile River turned to blood, and then there was, there was uh, gnats and flies, and then there's frogs, and there's uh, uh, livestock died, there's boils, there's a hailstorm that wiped out all the crops, and then there was a locust that wiped out all the other crops, and then there was boils on people's skin, and finally darkness and then finally, the last plague, where the firstborn of every household was taken, killed, except for the Israelites, who God told them through Moses, over the lentils and the doorposts of your house, to eat this with bitterness, to be ready to be prepared to leave, because he's about to pull them out of Egypt. And so the angel of death passed over God's people's houses because of that blood and took the Egyptians' firstborn. And Pharaoh finally said, I can't stand it enough. Get out. Leave. So they did. So they leave. And this is a story about how they actually are leaving Egypt. This is where we pick up in verse 33. It says this. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up and their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sokoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them the very, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. 
nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Thirty years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is brought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and, and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and, near and keep it. And he shall be a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and one and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No, no leaven brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leavened bread shall be seen with you in all your territory. And you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall, also, you shall therefore keep the statute as it appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals and the males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey shall be re you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man, of man among your sons shall be redeemed. And when the time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh suddenly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn. For I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a, as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt." So what should we pull from this account? It seems almost a rehashing of what we just heard last week, a rehashing about what just happened, just explaining in maybe some different detail about how God did bring the Israelites out from Egypt. So how do, what should we pull from this? And it's a simple fact, I think, that we should pull this. Remembering deepens our faith. That what God is doing here is he's giving his, uh, these, these rites, these kind of festivals, these feasts for the Israelites to keep on a yearly basis. Why? Because remembering deepens their faith, reminds them of who they are. It's the same thing with us. 
remembering deepens our faith. When we remember who God is, when we remember how he loves us, when we remember how he has saved us, our faith is deepened. Because remembering directs us again towards him. It lifts our eyes past our circumstances. That No matter what's going on in our life right now, when we remember who God is and his truthfulness and his love, when we remember that, it deepens our faith and we can walk through anything that life brings our way. So often people kind of accuse or criticize or call Christians saying that we just have a blind faith, that we just blindly have a faith in a God. And we're like, no, there's nothing blind about my faith, for I remember who my God is. And I remember what he's done in my life. And because I remember what he's done in my life, I can go through life, whatever comes my way, knowing who he is and walking on that faith. Because remembering deepens our faith, because it calls us to remember and focus on how God has saved us and has blessed us time and time again. Remembering deepens our faith. And this is all based on one key principle, that God keeps his promises. Because again and again, we see this through the whole Bible, is that God keeps our promises his promises, and because he keeps his promises, we can now remember how he keeps his promises. We can now remember how he works in our life, and we remember and see the kind of God that we have. A truthful God, a faithful God, a steadfast God, a God who says and then does. This is the kind of God we have, the God who keeps his promises. Here again and again about God keeping his promises, about what he says is true. What he's going to do, he's going to do it. Maybe not how we expect he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. He's going to fulfill his promises. One of the clearest examples of this uh, stated for us is in Numbers 23:19, where actually a, a prophet, uh, Bell, who, uh, not Bell, um, why am I, why am I blanking on his name now? Here's a donkey that talks to him. Balaam. Balaam. There we go. Balaam, who is not a follower of God. He is not of the people. But when he's, when he's paid money to kind of preach and prophesy against the people of Israel, what does he see? What does he say? In there is this, this great verse in 23:19. He says, God is not a son of man, or not, not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should, cha- should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And the answer is no, that this God that he is speaking on, his, on behalf is a God who keeps his promises. That when he says he's going to do something, he does it. When he promises, he fulfills that promise. This is the God that we worship. This is a God that gives a foundation for our whole life. And that's why we can now remember how he has spoken and we remember his promises and we remember what he's done and that deepens our faith. Because What's taking place in Exodus 12 and 13 was what God said would take place way back in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 20 through 20, uh, 22, you see God speaking to Moses out of the burning bush, and he says exactly what is going to happen. What is he going to do? And he says this to Moses. He says, I will stretch out my my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. 
After that, he will let you go, and I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go, go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and each woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing, shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so that you shall plunder the Egyptians. Isn't that what we just read? That... Finally, Pharaoh says, hey, I can't stand these plagues enough. Get out of my country. And all the Israelites say, hey, how about you give us your gold, jewelry, and your silver, and some clothing? Sounds absurd, right? But God said it was happening, and exactly how it would happen, way back when he was calling Moses out of the wilderness. And so the, the people of God did what God could, said was going to happen, and they asked for this, and so they plundered the Egyptians as they were being led out. That this was being fulfilled before there does and fulfills is a springboard for our faith that so we can look forward and trust in him no matter what happens in life. That we can look in our life and look ahead and trust all those promises that might not have come true yet or have been fulfilled yet. And we can trust God all the more because we see who he is and remember how he's been sure to his word and has kept it. That's why remembering deepens our faith. And that's just true for the Israelites right then. As they're being led out into the wilderness, that they could remember how God said this and how it's becoming true, and they could walk in faith. But we're in a different boat. Before we stand so far down the line from this, we stand on the other side of the cross in the resurrection. We stand seeing how God time and time again has been true to his word, has fulfilled his promise, has saved his people, has prepared the way. We see again and again how he has been faithful. And now we standing on the other side of the greatest promise ever given to us, a Savior being born for us, a Savior living for us, the life we could not live, a Savior dying for me that we have been saved, showing what awaits us in this life to come, a Savior who now sits on the right hand of our, of our God, God, interceding for us moment by moment, we know this reality, and we know this promise has been filled, and so we know that all the other promises that God has given to us and has promised to us are also true, and we walk in light of that. That we remember this, filtering it through the whole story of the Bible about how God has been true to his word, and so we now remember all these great promises that he's given us, and we know they are sure. We know that salvation is sure, for it was achieved on the cross. It was achieved as Christ was re resurrected. It was achieved for us, and we know it's sure. We know the promises that are in the word, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion when he appears. We know that is sure because we remember how he's been sure in the past, and we walk in light of it. We know the promises of sanctification, actually, that he actually was working in our lives and bringing us closer and closer to him, conforming us to the image of his son. We know that promise is sure. Some of us, it's taking a little longer. And me, it's taking a little longer than it probably should. But we know that promise is sure that he's at work. We know the fact of adoption, that we are his 
children, sons and daughters of the Most High, because we are in Christ. We know that promise is sure. Why? Because we can look back and we see all the other promises that he has kept, he has fulfilled. Again, again, think of any of the great promises we have in the Word, and we know they are true for us. We know they are true for us, because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it's through him that we can utter our amen to God for his glory. That all the promises of God are yes in Christ. That means when we are in Christ, all these promises that can be for, all these promises about how God loves us, all these promises about how God is working for our good, all these promises about God has a plan for us, all these promises are true in Christ, and we can hold fast to them and be secured in our faith in them and walk in faith because we can look back and see how sure he has been how true he has been to his word, that remembering deepens our faith. So I'll challenge you, whenever you find yourself in doubt about this life, or it might be whenever you find yourself maybe taking your eyes off the Savior for a bit to look around at other things, and it puts you in a precarious spot. If you are ever in that situation, just remember. If you ever find yourself thinking, man, how could God love me when I keep on messing up with the same things again and again? How could God love me when I keep going astray? How could God love me when nothing seems to work out in my life? Just remember how he has loved you already. That he has loved you through his son to the end. And he's going to love you to the very end with him forever. If you ever find yourself struggling, wondering why maybe life is not working out and bad things keep on happening and you're going through sorrow and grief and things just don't seem to be getting ahead where pain just seems to be a constant companion, lift your eyes and remember how he has loved you before and how he has worked through times like this before. And have that faith and trust in who he is to look ahead and know who our God is. Because remembering deepens our faith. And this is why God gives ways in which the people of God could remember. Because he knows that we are too easily prone to forget. I think I'm confident in saying that, that humanity is prone to forget. We've all been there. Maybe you've been at the grocery store and you said, wow, I came in for one item and I know these five are not it. We're prone to forget. We're prone to forget. We might be driving somewhere else and we look up and you're like, I'm not going where I'm supposed to go. I'm going to work and I was supposed to go over to someone, some other place. We're just prone to forget. And so God is gracious with us. God is so gracious with us that he actually gives us ways in which we are to remember. And that is what he is doing with the Israelites here. That he wants us to remember and so he gives us ways of remembering. Because there's blessing in remembering. 
As I already said, it sets the tone for your life. When we remember, we can, re- we can focus on what God has done in our life, and we can maybe look above the circumstances we're in right now. But just remembering actually increases gratitude, because when we remember who God is and how he loves us and the promises he's fulfilled, it actually increases our gratitude towards this God. It increases our gratitude and our thanks for him. And increase for him, it helps us fight different things that might be creeping up in our life that might keep us distracted. It helps us fight envy or fight being uh, disappointed about things. It helps us fight against distractions that might lead us away from our great God. And so he gives us ways to remember who he is. And so he gave the Passover, the celebration of the Passover for the Israelite people to remember who he is. In uh, that chapter 12, verse uh, 42, he gives them this kind of uh, uh, command to do this in remembrance for him. As he says, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring you out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. That they were supposed to keep this celebration, this Passover. They're supposed to do the same thing, that they're at every year at the same time, they were supposed to take the lamb, they're supposed to uh, sacrifice to the Lord, spread the blood, and eat it all together in one household, and they're doing this. Why? Because that was a night where the Lord kept watch over them, and so now we, they remember it. Why? To keep watch to the Lord for generations to come. They were to focus on who God is. They're to remember it's a ceremony of remembrance of God's deliverance, of how he saved them. To remind them again and again that God is a God of sin. they end up, they can remember this and remember their God and have faith in who they were. It gave a frame for them. It gave a framework that they had this national, now, national identity now around this. That only people who believed in God, only people who were circumcised, who were of Israel, were supposed to practice this ceremony of the Passover. It framed them as a people, a people who God has saved. It gave an understanding of who they were and who God was. They understand that God was a God who loves, who saves them, is that they could remember this. It's interesting, when you read the history of God's people, when they stopped remembering was when they got into trouble. That when they stopped remembering who God was, they went so crazy. When they stopped doing the Passover was a key moment when all of a sudden you see Kings arise who did not know God and did whatever was right in their eyes. But when you read the accounts, you see these two, these two kings, Josiah and then Hezekiah after him, who actually find the book of the law again. And they go, wait a minute, we're supposed to be doing this? We're supposed to be having a Passover? Let's do it. Get the lambs. We're doing it. Why? So we can remember and put our eyes back on him, that God was gracious enough to give them this, this story of remembrance, this act of remembrance, so that they could keep their eyes focused on who God is. He also gave them this feast of unleavened bread that, they, that we see in, in chapter 13, this idea that they were do this always. For seven days, they would eat unleavened bread. Why? So that reminds them, it, it calls back to the story about how they had to flee from Egypt, and they had no time to leaven the bread. They just took their dough, threw it in the pots, put it over their shoulder, and headed out. But don't forget to ask your neighbor for your golden jewelry, because she's going to give it to you. And then you head on out, right? And so they, it 
calls to mind this. And for seven days they did this. Why? So they could remember God's provision. That even when they seemingly fled with nothing, they plundered the Egyptians and they had food to eat, which points to when they're out in the desert and God provides them further, but it recalls to their mind how God provided for them. Not just salvation from the Egyptians, but that he provided for their needs. And they were to do that yearly. Why? Because we're prone to forget, and so we should remind ourselves again and again, God provides for us again and again. We remember that. It's the same thing with the, with the concentration of the firstborn. Why did they come and ask, it says? You remind them and tell them the story of how God saved us out of Egypt. All these things were to help the people as a people remember. And we, as Christians, have been given our own Ceremony, our own right, if you want to say, to help us remember our saving God. We just did it today, the Lord's Supper. As I said in Luke 22, verse 19, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. That we gather together as a people of God, united by our faith, coming to the table, doing this in remembrance of him, him, why? So that we can remind ourselves of our great God and his love. Because as we go out through our day, as we go out through our week, when we face trials of all these kinds that can come our ways, we can somehow lose sight of his love. But when we come back together and we center ourselves around the word and we remember the story of his redemption and how he's given us, and particularly as we do the living drama of the Lord's Supper where we take the bread and we take the cup and we remember how he said, do this in remembrance of him, and we remember what this points to, about how he gave his body on the cross for us, how he shed his blood for us so that sin would be no more in our lives. lives. When we remember that, we can have a confidence and surety of who we are in Christ. And we need to do this on a regular basis because we're so prone to forget. Sometimes we're prone to forget and think, man, I'm killing it. I'm doing so good. God must be looking at me and saying, hey, I'm glad he's on my team. I, never, I don't really think like that. And I also don't speak like that, so I don't know why I did that. So, <laughs> But we can, we can tend to forget in those ways where we think much of ourselves. And this reminds us that the only way to God is through the cross. That it's not us and our good works and what we bring to the table, but it's Christ who saved us. And if you're more like me, you tend to be on the other side, more morose and more aware of our own sin, and we forget God's love, and we go through life and we're like, man, I know I'm a sinner. And a great one at that. How could God love me? And when we come back to the table, we're reminded again that when we wanted nothing to do with God, he sent Jesus to save us. That he's already given us a son, so how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things that we need. We remember that. And our, our strength, our faith is steepened. It's strengthened. 
Remembering deepens our faith. So what do we, how do we go on from here? How do we take this and apply it to our life? It's very simple. Is that when we walk through life, we need to always keep one eye on the past while one eye is on the future. That if we look back about how God has worked, how God has loved, how God has moved, how God has fulfilled, how God has completed. We look back to those things so that we can look towards the future and know he's got that as well. That when we walk through life with faith, we knew this knowing that he has the one who has saved us. He has done it, and we walk with confidence in how he's working now. We can walk, walk through faith with hindsight being 2020, seeing all the ways in God, which God has moved, knowing that that is true then, is also true now in the present, whatever we're going through, and it's going to be true in the future, which we don't know what will be. But we do know one thing, that is we do know our God, who is the same yesterday, so remembering deepens our faith. So remember let us remember again who our God is. Let us remember the greatness in which he loves us. Let us remember the great salvation he provides for us through his son. And let us remember and focus on the blessings he pours out on us again and again. Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we can read it, we can understand it and grasp it, that we can know who you are and respond to it. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here, everyone who's listening to this, that we can be a people who remember, that we can be a people who are confident in how you've moved in the past so that we can be confident in how we should live in the future live in the present. Lord, we love you and we seek you and we ask that you continue to work in our lives. Continue to bring to mind the ways in which you've blessed us. Continue to remind us in the ways in which you've moved in us. In our life stories, in our, in our situations and in where we're going through. Amen. Amen. If y'all would like to feel free to stand again this time as we we worship a God who who keeps his promises to us let's remember what he does for us that he's mighty that he's glorious and that he is faithful Amen.